Thanks for clicking play on the East Lake Tri-Cities Talks podcast. If you're new to this, we're trying to be the best church option for people in the Tri-Cities who aren't typically into church. We hope today's talk inspires you to take next steps in doing life in the way Jesus modeled and taught. If you're ever interested in being a part of one of our in-person gatherings, they take place every Sunday at the Uptown Theater in Richland. Check the website for current times. And regardless of what you look like, who you voted for, or where your tattoos are, we'd love to have you. But for now, here's our most recent talk. Well, there you go. Teeny weeny beanies. Welcome to East Lake. We're so glad that you're here. On that note, let's talk about Jesus for a little bit, huh? Um, hey, if uh, you're watching this online, welcome. Those of you uh, checking out the live stream or watching this on replay, glad that you made it. Glad that you made it. For those of you who are here in person, we're so thankful for all of you making church a part of your weekend. If you're a guest with us, my name is Brent, I'm the teaching pastor, and you picked a great idea, come check us out. We're on part five of a six-part series called Through Peasant Eyes. We've been looking at some parables of Jesus. Um, Jesus, when he taught his people, would have various methods uh, of, of ways of doing things. He used uh, the Beatitudes, which was more like, an, like a statement of ethics. Um, he would have um, like preaching sort of things, sermons, typical sermons. And then uh, one of the things that he would have are these things called parables, stories with a point um, in order to communicate a truth. Uh, he would sometimes wrap it up in a narrative of a fictionalized story. Once upon a time, there was a man who had two sons. Once upon a time, there was a woman who lost a coin, lost a sheep, that kind of thing. And the, whole, and the hope would be that people would uh, hear that, understand that, feel some things within that story that they may not have felt just in terms of principles. And so that's, that's why he tells the parables, and we've decided to look at it through peasant eyes. Um, one of the uh, things that I, I thought about in, in leading up to the series is that have you ever been um, to a concert with somebody who is not just really into music, but really, really talented at it, like a professional musician or somebody who does it um, seriously? Um, if you do and you go to a concert like that with that person, they will clue you in on things that you may not be attuned to otherwise. Uh, my, one of my roommates uh, in college growing up uh, was a guy named Josh, who was a drummer. And he was always into like telling me who was really good drummers. And I'll be honest with you, drummers, I'm just like, they all just sound the same, man. You know what I mean? Like, I'm sure they're really, really good. If you're a drummer, I'm not trying to offend you at all. But, uh, and I love Jake. I think he's probably the best drummer um, I've ever heard. So uh, anyways, um, he was, my, my roommate was really into Dave Matthews Band's drummer, Carter Beaufort. And he'd be like, dude, have you heard this guy? And he'd be like, no, man. He's like, you hear this? He's like got this like double bass pedal thing that he's going on. He's got this open style. He's got this different thing. And, I, and he's like, do you hear that? Do you hear that? And I'm like, all I hear is ants marching. That's the only thing I hear when I hear Dave Matthews and that unique, weird voice. And it's fine. He's from the Pacific Northwest. We love Dave. Anyways, uh, so, but I, I realized in that, po- in, in that moment, like I got attuned to it. And then when I would listen to it with Josh, I would hear it and I'd be like, you're right. This guy is amazing. This is, he's fantastic. And that I never have really experienced that before. Anyway, that sort of thinking or that sort of way of, uh, of learning or experiencing is what I'm hoping to do as a part of this series um, as we look at the parables of Jesus, not just through our modern Western eyes, uh, but through perhaps uh, some of the people who were there. What, what things would they hear that we don't hear? What things would they see that we don't see? What, would they, what dots would they connect that we might not connect? Uh, and, and how do we kind of uh, grow and, and learn from that? 
So today we're gonna to be talking about the parable of uh, the Pharisee and the tax collector. We've done four leading up to this spot. If you've missed any of them and are interested in catching up on those, there's a website you can go to eastlaketricities.com slash talks, or the best option is probably just to download our app and uh, then you can get them on demand there and make that thing happen. So um, I'm gonna read through this with you. And, uh, the, and it's gonna be all on the screen. It's, gonna, it's kind of a bigger passage. We're gonna read all three of it at once and then we'll break it down after that. If by any chance you uh, would wanna read this on your own or, or dive into this a little bit more, or anything that's on the screen, it's gonna be uh, in the notes section on that app that you can follow along too. But Luke chapter 18, verse nine through 14, the parable uh, of the Pharisee and the tax collector. It says this, to some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Once upon a time, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all that I get, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Again, finishing that phrase, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. In most of the scenarios in which Jesus uh, begins a parable, there's some sort of a spark to the situation. Somebody says something, somebody does something, and then Jesus is like, oh, this is a good teaching moment, good learning moment. Gather around everybody once upon a time. Uh, and in this situation, the spark is that Jesus finds himself surrounded by uh, pretentious uh, people that are oozing with a bit of self-righteousness. Or here's how Luke decides to write it. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. So here's where he finds himself at. He's like, ooh, look at my crowd today. All right, I got a chance to kind of speak to something that I would love to. In this case, Jesus walks into a situation with some all too obvious cases of self-righteousness, and we've all been there before. Uh, we've all perhaps worked in an environment like that or attended a staff meeting like that or ate at a restaurant like that, or more likely, as I was thinking about it this week, walked into a clothing boutique store uh, that we knew the moment that we walked in, we did not belong there. And we are not the only ones that knew that we did not belong there. Everybody who shopped there knew that we did not belong there. And everybody who works there knew that you did not belong there. You ever walked into one of those? We've been to this spot. Uh, we, we find ourselves there. You know it, they know it. You have enough self-respect not to leave immediately. You wanna kind of play it off like, I could, I could work here. I could, I, could, I could shop here. I could mortgage my home and buy something here. Uh, and, and you walk in and, and I just imagine for a moment, if you would like close your eyes, maybe don't close your eyes, whatever, but you can picture it if you closed your eyes what it feels like and who the person is that's working there. And you can like, you can sense and the, the tension is thick that you can sense the disdain that you're there. Can you smell the cologne? It's fine, it smells good, but there's like a whole lot of it. That's the kind of place I'm talking about. And the tags, you can't even find the tags on the clothing, good luck. There's no racks with tags on it. There's no numbers anywhere. The numbers are hidden on tags directly inside of the fabric that are so hard to reach and find. You have to basically turn the whole garment inside out to be able to find it. And then when you see the numbers associated with it, you wouldn't realize why they did it in that way. So they wouldn't scare you off immediately. And, and you hear this person coming up to you and be like, is there anything that I can help you find? Like maybe, 
an exit door or something like that? Is there anything I could do to you? And you're like, I get it. I get it. Listen, even if I could afford some of the stuff here, I wouldn't want to wear it. It looks ugly. It's terrible. It doesn't even feel good. You know, all this kind of stuff. We make, we make these stories and, and we, we've been in those spots where it's like, there's just some self-righteousness going on in that. And even, even in the way that I characterized uh, our response or how we live into that, that's a little bit self-righteousness. And the, it's like a reverse self-righteousness. I'm better than you because you think you're better than me. And now that makes me better than you, right? So, ha ha, gotcha. And then all of a sudden, it's like this slippery thing. Like we're the ones at fault even in that. So Jesus knows, by the way, it's a slippery thing. And he knows that self-righteousness is not just something that rich people worry about or people who have it all together worry about. He's gonna, he's gonna say, and he's gonna show over and over again, this is something that is an all-skate for everybody. We all struggle with self-righteousness. Even when we detect it so strongly in the lives of others, there's a sense in which we are diving into our own self-righteousness that's really, really hard to see. And it's very, very self-deceiving. It's really, it's hard, it's hard to locate in the mirror sometimes how that works, but it's very, very dangerous. And Jesus would say, let me, let me tell you about a story. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me show you what this might look like and why this is a, a warning signal or should, should be a warning signal for you. Verse 10, once upon a time, two men went up to the temple to pray. One, uh, a Pharisee, and the other is a tax collector. And these would be two common characters in the lives. Of, I mean, if you grew up in church and heard parables or Jesus talk, these are like, common characters that are, are, are presupposed into these kind of stories because they would be familiar. Pharisees would have been uh, the righteous ruling class, the priestly people, the people who um, followed all the rules and knew it and um, were, were the ones oftentimes most questioning of Jesus. They had political authority. They had um, uh, spiritual authority. They um, just the, the vision or the picture of people who have it all together. And tax collectors uh, on, on the flip side of things would have had their own category of, of kind of people. Like they'd be like, people would say sinners and then even tax collectors, they wouldn't even put them into the same category. These tax collectors in this era would have been people who have been hired by Rome to enact taxes on the Jewish people, mostly because Rome was so distant and far away from Jerusalem and some of the, it wouldn't be just in Jerusalem, but, and the outskirts of the empire that to know how much would be appropriate to tax the people would have been impossible for them. They live too far away. People can hide their wealth and hide their resources. Uh, They wouldn't have filed taxes in the way that we file taxes, where the government knows most of what you make, right? Um, Not all, maybe, Uh, you know, you get the Venmo on the side, whatever. Anyways, We'll talk, that's another week. Uh, and this idea of um, how in the world could we possibly know to get as much as we could out of these people, but not so much that it actually, uh, they begin to resent us and form a rebellion or whatever. So taxing appropriately is a difficult question. So what they would do is they would go to people who lived, you seem well-connected in the community. You know where the wealth is hidden. You know people who are actually rich, not the people who just look rich, who drive the nice cars, but the ones who have uh, drive Toyotas, but they, they have crazy amount of money, right? They, they have land, they have deep family, old money, whatever. You know who, who deserves taxes. And they would say, if you work for us, we'll give you a cut of all of this thing. We just wanna make sure we get this much. You can charge whatever you want beyond this. It was really, it was, it was a, a, a sellout. You were a sellout to your own people. Um, people trusted you and be like, I, I, I knew you. If your dad knew what you were doing, I mean, that kind of sort of stuff would be happening with these tax collectors. So 
two opposite sides of the spectrum. And when it says they both went up to the temple to pray, it would have been a situation where one of them feels like they absolutely belong. And the other one would have been, I absolutely do not belong here. That's what Jesus is trying to portray in all of this. They come with their baggage. They come with their history. They come with their stuff. They come with their levels of righteousness and they show up uh, to this temple. And uh, in Jesus' day and age at this time, uh, they would have still been operating under the sacrificial system. So they believed in like an animal sacrifice thing that taking the best and the brightest and you would burn them on the altar and the incense or the smoke uh, from this dead animal would, would, would rise up in the same way that you smell your Traeger and you're like, oh, that smells so good. They'd be like, God loves it too, right? When you give your best and then that smell ascends into heaven and that is a gift and that is a, a, a piece of atonement, we would say, um, we have done uh, wrong. We have done. We have committed sin in our life. We are um, something has to die as a result of that. We put this on the animal. This animal on the shelter. It's a representative of us, and that smoke goes to go, and then it clears us from everything. It's like this atonement piece. And as soon as we've been cleared of all of our sin, that would then be the time to operate in prayer and offer up prayers. Um, in, in the same way that it, you know, we, we've heard of people who grew up Catholic and they go into the confession booth and they just lay it all out and then they get out and they're like. Whew, Clean, now let's go gather up more sin. I've got an empty bucket now. Let's go make this thing happen, right? Uh, this would be their, their way of cleansing themselves in that way. And, and then perhaps God will listen to our prayers more uh, during this time. And they would offer up prayers of atonement. There'd be two sort of um, services every single day, one at dawn, uh, and that would rotate depending on the sun schedule. And then at 3 p.m. in the afternoon, you could kind of go to either one and make these sort of Thing. So that's the situation. That's the thing that peasants would know that perhaps we wouldn't know. That's the structure of the religious cycle uh, of the time. Verse 11 says this, the Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed, God, I thank you uh, that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, uh, adulterers, husky fans, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth uh, of all that I get. And, and this would have been very obvious for uh, for the, the people, peasants who are hearing this story and Jesus tell the story of this character, not only is he standing by himself, that would have been common. Pharisees would not want to mix and mingle and perhaps touch unclean people or like a level of self-righteousness. I don't really belong here. You don't belong here. And I definitely don't belong with you. Uh, and then for him to offer up this prayer, it is interesting um, because when Jesus would teach his people to pray, it would be it would start off with thanksgiving. You look at, you know, uh, in, in the book of Matthew when he says, this is how you should pray, Matthew chapter six. Um, it starts off with thanksgiving. And this is how we pray too. God, thank you for this great day. Thank you for my family. Thank you for a job. Thank you for um, my health. Thank you for the, we start off with thanksgiving and we move on towards confession. Uh, here's, here's the, you know, I'm, I'm, here's everything that's wrong with me. Petition, I'm asking you for something in response and then like a supplication sustain me. So that's like the formula. Like that's the prayer formula if you look at uh, Matthew chapter six. And this is then him operating this. This is his thanksgiving prayer. God, thank you for making me awesome. You know, thank you, right? There's like, it's like a, it's so weird. And there's no, there's no confession here. There's nothing to confess. He's got nothing to confess. I'm freaking awesome. Uh, there's no petition. He doesn't need anything. Why would I ask you for anything? I'm, I'm only saying thank you for what you've done that's so evident and so clear in comparison to, uh, you know, how everybody else operates and what, how everybody else thinks. Um, it's clear that you have made a diamond in the rough. Uh, <laughs> it's it's odd. And I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all of I get. Um, these are, this would be him trying to state how he goes above and beyond what's expected of him and or required of him. 
Uh, if you were Jewish, you grew up in a society where uh, there would be different festivals and, and, you know, Sabbath and the Festival of Booths and all these kind of things. One of those things would have been Yom Kippur. It's the Day of Atonement. It's the day when um, a massive animal sacrifice, like we're, we're saving all, all these animals for this one big day. It's going to be this big party. We're going to kill a bunch of things. And uh, <laughs> it sounds weird, but that's what they would do. And, uh, and they would be like, that's going to be the day that we receive atonement for all of the nation of Israel. We're gonna send a scapegoat into the wilderness. And, and on that day, you would feast. There's gonna be a party that comes after this, but on Yom Kippur day, that would be the one day you're expected as a good Jewish person to fast. Sorry, did I say feast? I meant fast uh, from all sorts of uh, food. And he's like, not only do I fast on Yom Kippur, I fast twice a week. That's how impressive I am. And, and then when it comes to this tithes, I give a 10th of all that I get. Back for them, there would have been certain things that would be under a tithe. Anytime you got grain, wine, and oil, it would be like, all right, you take, uh, you split up into a tenth, you take, or into tenths, you take one of those tenths and you give it to the temple. Uh, and that goes to fund the process of this thing, that funds the priests to be able to kind of do the uh, operations of the temple. And, and, and that would be uh, uh, kind of common for somebody in his position to do. But he's like, I don't even relegate it to just those three things or just what I'm supposed to do. I do everything. I, I am above and beyond generous. Nobody would accuse me of not being generous. God should be pleased to have such a law-abiding Pharisee address him in prayer. And he looks around and he definitely, he stands by himself. And I think one of the things to kind of, uh, that I was reading through and coming across this week is even his presence with somebody like a tax collector. When they would go to temple, there would have been different uh, gradations of involvement or how far you could progress inside of the physical structure of the temple based on your level of spirituality or your level of social spirituality, at least. In terms of if you were a Gentile, you were you were limited to Solomon's porch, right? If you were a Jew, you could go into like the, the gates and the courtyard area and, and do this thing, probably where this is taking place. And then if you were a, a priest, you could go in a little bit further. And if you were the most high priest or the high priest of that time, you could go into the Holy of Holies, but only once a year. So they would have different levels of, of engagement and where he could go in. And it says he's doing this in the presence of other people. He's standing apart from them, but they're obviously there to be able to see him. And so it's almost as if the priest is doing this because he wants them to see that I'm here. I don't even deserve to be here. You definitely don't deserve to be here. <clears throat> there, there, there would have been a uh, part of the ceremony where we get to a spot where you're supposed to leave. If you're, not, if you're not high enough on the religious pecking order, you need to take off. After all, this is a holy place. Holy people are, are invited uh, into this, people who have, are, have done good and are, are, are checking all of the boxes, who live according to Psalm 24, verse three. This would have been a verse that would have been a song. It's called the Song of Ascent. They would have sung the song on their way <clears throat> up to Jerusalem <clears throat> to go worship. And it says this, who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place in this temple? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false. This is, this is, a, this is one that we, we like to think about uh, when we're on the good side of things. And this is one that he would use to kind of do like this religiously motivated exclusion of this. Who belongs in this court? Who belongs in this level of the temple? Only those who have pure intention and pure motives. This would have been perhaps this Pharisee's life verse. If he wasn't so repulsed by tattoos, he'd probably have it stamped on his lower back. I mean, he is all about who may ascend the, uh, the, the hill of the Lord. 
And his standing by himself would have been an obvious gesture of religious superiority over the other worshipers. And even though he's standing by himself, I think it's important to notice he's not saying this to himself. I think in our initial reading, we would say he's standing by himself. He's muttering this to himself. He's just having a conversation with himself, not realizing that in this time, this would be a time where they would say prayers, but they would say them publicly. They would say them aloud. They would... um, they would take their turns voicing these things and, and, and uh, stepping up to the altar of some sort and, and raising their voice and making these things heard. So he's really viewing this as an opportunity to preach to the less fortunate unwashed around him. He would say something like, you guys wouldn't know peak righteousness if it was standing before you, and here I am. Let me show you how good I am. Let me spell it out for you. It is a public setting, but peasants would know or peasant eyes would know that this is not a time for uh, private prayers. Public setting, public prayers spoken personally. Public prayers were part of the worship agenda, not maybe unlike some of the churches that you grew up in. Maybe perhaps there was a a, a scenario where it was, anybody got a prayer request? You want to come up? We got a mic. We'll just rotate it around. People be like, I I got one. And they just, you start praying. You're like, you're so glad that we don't do that anymore because I'm glad I don't do that anymore. Um, because there'd be like, there, any time that there's public prayer requests on the, on the agenda, there's always look like read between the lines. Like somebody will say something without really saying something. You know what I mean? But hey, I gotta, I'd like to pray for a friend, unspoken. Um, and uh, there was some lies, some deceit, uh, some hurt. Would you rescue this marriage? Unspoken, but it's, it's, it's in a really bad spot right now. And uh, people come up and be like, I'm so sorry for your friend's uh, affair. Uh, you know, just... Who was it? Can we, can we know? I mean, you know, it's, it'd be like, it's, it's dirty. It's weird. There's like reading between the lines. This is the kind of stuff would sort of happen in this way. <clears throat> so there is a sense in which we read this story or even the very first time when I read it to you, if you're not familiar with this story, you'd be like, that feels like a caricature. That feels like not real life. That feels like nobody would actually pray those things or say those things. And the reality is you underestimate people, guys. They we do, and I say we do because we all have some of this in us. We, we may be more uh, wise in how we enact it, but there is a sense of self-righteousness that is a danger for all of us to be able to go through, to live with comparison, to feel better about ourselves based in relation to the spirituality of other people, um, to perhaps um, see people who denigrate somebody else's character or speak ill about somebody else's character and somehow it makes them feel better about their character or their level of character, right? We tear people down. Somehow that makes us feel better about ourselves. Like this happens all the time. Um, so, and, and, and peasants would have heard this and seen this and be like, we know those, we know those kinds of people. I mean, I, we know that you're not talking about anybody specific here, Jesus, but it's not unreasonable, if, uh, unreasonable for us to not have a category of people who operate and act like this. Robbers and thieves, rogues and swindlers, someone would say, adultery added on for just good measure. Those, the first two have some sort of a relation to each other, right? And the third one just kind of like a little bit out of left field, like it almost kind of doesn't belong, one of these things doesn't belong here. Um, and it's almost as if he's painted in a picture of something that wasn't actually real, uh, we see this show up again in Luke chapter 15 in the parable with the uh, prodigal son, one that we're familiar with. The younger brother tells his dad, I'd prefer that you were dead than alive. Let me take my money and go. And he spends it on all kinds of things. And in the story, in the parable, he just goes and wastes it. And then when he comes back, the elder brother approaches his dad and he's like, this son that you 
sent off money. Do you know he wasted it all on prostitutes? He like paints in this picture that wasn't actually there. Now we, we assume, we read this and we think that that's what he did. That's what we clue it into. But it's only because we've been told the story from the older brother who has helped us by painting in part of the picture for us by adding in things that he wanted to add in to help his side of the story. And we do this. This is how we operate as well. We can't help ourselves from assuming sometimes the worst in people and to help add in something that's going on. So this is, this is what's happening with this. He didn't see a fellow struggle in this. He saw only a sinner that needed to be avoided. And the turning point of the story comes in verse 13. Enough talking about this Pharisee. We, we, we can understand uh, the tragic nature of it. And I, I, don't, I, I only bring it up to say, as bad as it is, let's lest we think that we, there's not some of that in us, I think is, is kind of, yeah, a big piece. Verse 13, but the tax collector stood at a distance. It's important, I think, in this moment to, uh, to realize that peasants would not have seen the initial introduction of a Pharisee and a tax collector as good and bad, as much as we've perhaps been conditioned through the stories of Jesus and the parables of Jesus, to always see Pharisees as bad and always see tax collectors as somehow good. In the eyes of a, of a, um, a peasant, there's a good chance that they would have seen both with, both with flaws, just different flaws, all right? They're both broken, but in different ways. They both are chasing after something in life and doing it in incomplete ways, and um, it perhaps better to be neither of them, right? <clears throat> so, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He too stands apart from the crowd uh, within the temple or some spot in the courtyard there, but perhaps for different reasons. He can't or he won't uh, even look up to heaven. And it says he physically beats his breast, the chest uh, being considered the source of all evil thoughts for them. We oftentimes associate like bad thinking, bad thinking leads to bad behavior. So therefore get your mind right. So we would say, it starts up here, right? You, you watch TED Talks and they're like, you gotta get it right up here. And then it kind of works itself out in that way. For them, the seat of emotions was the heart. Matthew chapter 16, verse 19, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. For them, this was the seat of emotions. It's, it's right here. Uh, and, and, and so he's like, he, he's realizing, he's like, I, 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 what he has is poor self-destructive behavior. He knows there's a source of it and he thinks it's here and he wants to beat himself out of it. I wish that this was not in me. I know that it's not right. He's operating with contrition or brokenness or an awareness of his brokenness and he wants something to be fixed and he wants it so badly he begins to physically, it's almost as if we would say, oh, I just can't get this out of my head, right? That's, that's him doing this sort of action. Uh, in this way. The only other time, by the way, that, that this shows up in any of the biblical literature, Old Testament, New Testament, um, is in, uh, later on in Luke's story. Um, he's talking about the crucifixion of Christ and uh, it's post-crucifixion. Uh, everything like chaos has ensued. Jesus has is, is died. Uh, the sky turns dark. There's like earthquakes. The temple in the, in the, uh, the curtain in the temple tears. Um, everybody's like freaked out. Everybody realizes something has gone drastically wrong. The centurion has just said, 
surely this man was the son of God. Like we absolutely messed up with this. And in this scenario, it says this, when all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and they went away. Part of the thing for them would have been um, in a funeral dirge or in funeral ceremonies, the women who were there in that day out of a sense of mourning would have beaten their breast. Um, and, and, but in this scenario, men, but men never did it. Men, men, it was just a, too far beneath them to be able to, to, to go that route. And, but in this story, we see them pictured here going, what have we done This is Jesus's way of trying to illustrate the authenticity of the contrition or um, the desperate nature of his wanting to get things fixed. Because you and I have both heard of people go, yeah, I need to do better. And you would say, hearing that on this side, I just don't believe you because I don't think you believe you. And, or maybe you wouldn't say that because you're you're smarter and trying to keep friendships and, and, you know, uh, family relationships alive or whatever, smart. Um, but we've seen people and you're like, yeah, I just don't believe you. I'm trying to eat better. Eh, eh. I'm trying to make better decisions, I'm trying to be better with my money, I'm trying to stop this addiction piece. And you're like, good, man, go do it. You got this. But in your mind, you're like, nah, probably not really though, right? It hasn't hit rock bottom yet. We'll see it. Hopefully it gets there sometime. In this way, this illustration of him doing this is Jesus' best way of saying, this is somebody who is genuinely coming to grips with the brokenness of his spirit and the brokenness of his being and going, I am not in a good spot. This is not where I need to be. I need change. I need to, and some of you have been there. Some of you have crawled your way out of addictions or, 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 or you know this, or you watch this in people's lives where they have hit rock bottom and they get to that spot. And all of a sudden there's like just nothing embarrassing for them. They're just like, here's my story. Here's my thing. Like, I'm just, I just want this to be fixed and I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get there. And, and, and that's why this, his response next is so uh, critical. He says this, he, 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 he says, have mercy on me, a sinner. This is his prayer. Have mercy on me, a sinner. And he's borrowing, he's pulling back, he's reaching back into his knowledge of one of the songs that would have been in the songbook of Israel, right? The book of Psalms is just a collection of songs that they would have sung different seasons of their life. We're going up to Jerusalem, we're going down from Jerusalem, we're having a child, we're entering into a war, we made a transaction, we got married or something like that. Here's the songs that we would sing. And Psalm 51 is the song that, David, that was ascribed to David who, who wrote the song um, after he was approached by Nathan the prophet. Remember the story of David? Um, great king, all kinds of cool stuff, like hero of the Old Testament, right? I mean, the best king of Israel ever. And then there's like this one scenario, this one scene that's like, ooh, he had this thing with Bathsheba. He saw a woman, he should have been at war, but he wasn't. He saw this woman bathing. He's like, that's the one that I want. He's, everybody's like, she, well, it's great, but she's married. He's like, well, I can fix that. Sends her husband off to war, gets him killed, basically murdered. Right, pulls pulls everybody else back, leaves him by himself, murders her, uh, and then sleeps with his wife, and, and does all this kind of stuff, and 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 it's a tra- it's a tragic scenario. It's a, it's a it's it's a bad mark on David's legacy and on his story, and. Uh, uh, and then Nathan approaches the, his house one day, and, and, and David probably thinks he got away with all of it. Nathan knocks on the door, he answers the door, and, and David probably knows Nathan's a prophet, and. Nathan says, I got a story for it. I'd like to like for you to hear if you're willing to hear. There's a man who had a sheep who loved the sheep. It was like his favorite sheep ever. And somebody else saw the sheep, wanted the sheep, and uh, uh, decided to just steal the sheep. 
And Dave was like, well, that man must die. He's got to pay the price. You can't just do that. And he's like, that's you, man. I'm not talking about sheep. I'm talking about this woman. And uh, there's like this big confrontation. God knows, you know, I know uh, that, this is, that this is your story. You got some things, you got some things to repent of. So here's what David says, or it says in, in, in the Old Testament that he does, or this psalm, based on this psalm, this is how we get it. He writes a song about the worst decision he ever made in his life. And then not only that, it says, for the director of music, for the people to sing. He writes a song about the worst decision he ever made. And then he hands it to somebody and says, I would like for you to lead the people in singing this stuff. All right, here's what I would love for you to do. Think of the worst decision that you ever made in life. I would love for you to write a song about it. You give it to Jake and Aubrey next week. We're gonna play it and we're all gonna sing it. And we're gonna talk about the decision that you, could you imagine? Do you imagine how, and by the way, I'm not gonna do that. We would never do that here. That's very shameful. But in that spot, if, if you were so desperate to move beyond it and you felt like this is the only way that I could do this. And he was in a position as a king too, or that, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of factors involved in that. But that shows like the level of contrition that he's at. That I'm, I'm desperate. I would like to publicly acknowledge the worst decision I've ever made in my life and, and have a song be written about it that's gonna be one of the 150 songs that we sing every year or whatever. I mean, that's incredible. So this, this tax collector comes and when he goes, how do I show this level of contrition? I beat my breast and the prayer that I begin to pray, I reach back into my knowledge of this embarrassing moment in David's life and I own that and I apply that to me. Have mercy on me, oh God, a sinner. That's what's taking place in this. That's what a peasant would see. He's, he's trying to come to grips with his uh, his level of disobedience, his level, like he's, he's trying to go, he, if I was to make restitution for this, if I was to say, okay, yes, I've done things wrong. Now what do I gotta do to make it right? As a tax collector, he would probably say, I don't even know how I could make this right. There, it's been such a pattern for so long. I couldn't even put, begin to put a number on this. I've wronged too many people and the number of people I've, I've cheated on has been, is staggering. I couldn't even fairly own all of my shortcomings. Like some, sometimes you hear about those people who've been caught you know, stealing from a company and they're like, how, how long has it been? They're like, I've worked here for 30 years. It's a long time. Can you put a number on how much you've taken? I don't even know. I mean, like it's, it's insurmountable. I couldn't even tell you what number it would take to get things right. That's where he's at with this. Verse 14 says this. This is the conclusion that Jesus comes to. I tell you that this man, which man? The man who is trying to deal with it. The man who is trying to uh, 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 be aware and, and not trying to put a number on it because it's just insurmountable to be able to do that, but operating with a huge level of contrition, realizing I'm, I'm in a position of need rather than the other, the one who didn't feel like he needed anything. God, you're kind of lucky to have me. Why, why offer petitions when I don't really need anything? Why offer confessions when I haven't done anything wrong? This man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus would say that this man, the tax collector, is in a better position to enter 
into the kingdom of heaven, which is the way of life that is truly life. I don't think he's talking about here a way, a place that you go when you die. I think he's talking about in the way of thinking that I'm inviting you into, this person can get there. If he, he's, he's on the right track, he started the right thing. This person understands this is the way to begin to think in that way. The other person who has nothing to be ashamed of and nothing to be broken over really isn't understanding it at all. All. He concludes this parable, by the way, with the same phrase he used at the end of the parable at the places of honor at the table. We, we, we didn't talk about that one specifically, but it was an intro for one of the ones we talked about. He said he was at a dinner party and noticed people kind of position themselves towards the head of the table. And he's like, dude, don't play this game. Don't, don't try and force your way to the top. Sit at the bottom, operate with a level of humility. Then when somebody comes in and goes, hey, you should move up. You're like closer than this. You're a better friend than that. He's like, you'll be exalted. But if you go into it, thinking I deserve this, I deserve this. Look at me, look at my track record. Look at all of these things. You should be lucky to have me at this dinner party. And then you get moved down. How embarrassing is that gonna be? Don't do that. For those who, uh, who, who operate with the, all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. It's the backwards way of Jesus. He begins to talk about humility. He preaches humility over and over and over again. In a culture, by the way, that humility was not a thing. We, we kind of uh, can appreciate a certain level of humility. We like friends who are humble. We dislike people who are egotistical and, and, and uber prideful. Um, and, and we just, something about it rubs us the wrong way. And this is, this is him going, listen, if you try and exalt yourself, it's gonna end poorly for you. But if you show up and if you approach this, and if you go through life, and if you approach a heavenly father with a, not a, here's everything that I have to offer you, but a sense of here's my brokenness, here's the worst things that you, that you already know about me. And it's in here and I'd love it to stop. And I, I just, I don't even know how. I'm like racking my brain, I'm, I'm beating my chest and I'm doing this and I'm saying, have mercy on me, a sinner, oh God. Jesus would say, there's hope for that kind of a person. I can do something with that. That's the kind of person, that's the kind of thing that I can work with. That's a good starting point. That person went home justified before God. The other one doesn't even feel like he needs it. So for us, may we not miss it. I don't wanna miss this. I don't want you to miss this. True humility leads, leads to exaltation. This is what Jesus would say. This is the invitation he offers to us. And he tells us this in multiple different stories, multiple different times, knowing that it's such a slippery thing that self-righteousness is not just for the people who have a ton of stuff. It can be for anybody. It can be against people who we see have righteous self-righteousness. And then in our own self-righteousness, we disdain their self-righteousness, right? In the same way that we don't like the people who work at the fancy boutiques and whatever. He's like, this, in, this is an all skate for everybody. This could be a problem with anybody. And you gotta come to grips with this because what I'm inviting you into, there's no room for that. What you, what you, how you approach and what you approach the heavenly father is, God, there's something in me that's broken and I, I want it fixed and I, I, I can't do it. And I'm, I'm, I want to, I'm asking, I'm presenting myself uh, to, in front of you to say, God, have mercy on somebody who's as broken as me. And if you can do something with that and Jesus would say, that's exactly where I want you to start. So may we be the type of people, me, us, you, we together, as a church, in our community, individually, in your family, as a parent, as a boss, as an employee, as a whatever, may we push towards true humility. May we experience that. May we not force ourselves into exaltation. May we not chase after things, but may we, in a sense, understand the level of grace that has been extended to us and embrace that and say, God, if you're willing to do anything with somebody like me, a broken person like me, then great, I'm all for it. 
May we understand and reflect on the fact that true humility leads to exaltation. Let's pray. Father, our prayer is that this parable uh, and this truth would come through clearly to us, that it would change the way that we act, the change that we, the way that we behave, the change the way that we um, confess and um, even even in our prayers of, yeah, I just want to do better. I'm, I'm going to try and do better. I'm going to do this and do better, whatever. May we realize that there's a deeper core issue at it than that, and it's going to require something that is external to us rather than trying harder, uh, and that that only comes through your grace and, and through your mercy. So may that be uh, extended upon us, and may that be our entry point into a kingdom of heaven sort of mindset in a way that Jesus invites us into. Give us the wisdom to what that looks like in our life that cares to do something about it in your name. Amen. Thanks again for listening. If you've got more questions about the church or community group options for connecting with East Lakers outside of Sunday mornings, I'd encourage you to check out our website, eastlaketricities.com, or better yet, download our app by searching East Lake Tri-Cities in your favorite app store.